Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast, the very last bastion of Andrew Savage supporters online. I'm John. My co-host is normally Andy, but he is out sick, so we are bringing in a very special co-host. We actually had planned this anyway, and it's Matt. And those of you that follow our site online should know that Matt is, of course, Savage's biggest fan and... It turns out that we were the ones getting a comeuppance edit, not Savage, because Matt wrote a wonderful, brilliant defense of Andrew Savage's winner edit this week that went live on the very day that Savage got voted out. So Matt, as Savage's biggest fan, give us your completely unbiased assessment of his game. I mean, Andrew Savage is Andrew Savage. I don't think anyone is surprised by anything he did for positive or negative reasons. He is who he is. And what he is is good at that rah-rah team loyalty stuff in the pre-merge, which is actually very good for the beginning of the game because it helps you get to the merge with numbers usually. But then once he's at the merge, yeah, he's not good at Survivor. He is so incredibly us versus them. He leaves no wiggle room. Yes. Which is probably fine when you're in the pre-merge stage and it's, you know, you've got the majority in your tribe. That's okay. But then once you get to the post-merge game and everything's a lot more fluid and you might need to work with some outsiders, you've blown it because you've alienated all the outsiders. Yeah. And, and I think that's actually pretty clear um, from this most recent episode, because if you watched it, I actually think that Savage did not have as much social pull as he should have had if he was in that power position that everyone was subscribing to him. And I think that's really clear because when did he get Jeremy to do anything? I mean, if you look at Andrew Savage, once he hits the merge, he's going back to his old alliance, right? And what happens when he hits the merge? Uh, he's, he wants Sierra out. He doesn't want Cass out there. And the vote's on Cass. The next vote, he wants Steven out. Jeremy talks him down from that. And so I just think that Savage became very reliant on his bond with Jeremy, but the power balance was tilted very far in Jeremy's favor. Yeah, and the internet seemed to think that Savage was the root of all evil here. Like you said, Savage certainly seemed like the leader, and I think Jeremy was very fine to make it seem that way. But we saw both this episode and the last one, it was kind of a front. I mean, Jeremy is pulling all the strings behind the scene. Savage is throwing things out there and laying out plans, but not actually getting his way. I mean, if he'd actually gotten his way in this episode, he'd still be around. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Had Savage gotten his way with what he actually wanted to do, Stephen Fishback would be would have gone home tonight. Oh, imagine the rage on the internet. They already hated him enough just for, like, his few comments that he made about Stephen. Yep, and and that's the thing. He got talked out of going for Stephen. Yes, so I think the real thing here is that Jeremy is just completely controlling that alliance. And I think Savage was kind of serving as that... He's kind of like Phil Shepard in Caramoan, where... <laughs> No, I mean, like... No, 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 I, I know the comparison you're making. You're not making a one-to-one correlation between Savage and Philip. No, I am. He's exactly like Philip Shepard and Caramoan. He's giving everyone nicknames, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He's the guy that is kind of 
dampening the game of everyone in the Alliance. He's kind of the one that is keeping them from playing and talking how they really want to talk, which is actually good for keeping that Alliance together, but it's also bad for individual members of that Alliance. So I actually think there's a lot of people in that Alliance that are kind of like, eh, we lost Andrew Savage, but we got their idol out. Not a big deal. Yeah, I kind of wonder if now that group is going to be like, okay, well, now the gloves are off. I, you know, Savage is gone. He was tamping our game down. We can just let loose. Um, I already mentioned that there are a lot of Savage haters online. I just want to give one last quick shot to them that I will take a villain like Andrew Savage, quote unquote villain, every time. Like, give me someone that's like Savage as the villain for the season over anyone like Will or Brandon Hans or Colton, anybody like that. Like, I will gladly take the guy that's just too arrogant and is the leader. Fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that part. I think the actual most villainous, if you would, part of Andrew Savage was his uh, moralizing, which is a quality that I absolutely hate. People equating game moves with morality. And I think that's a lot of the stuff that people did latch on to as well. Yeah, I think people also ascribed certain traits to him that weren't actually there. That I agree with. <laughs> yeah. To me, he's roughly a better version of John Carroll in Marquesas. He was the leader. He liked being the leader. He's very physically capable. And then at a certain point, he was just not the leader that he thought he was. That's actually an interesting comparison. Who do you think would like that comparison less? John Carroll or Andrew Savage? Andrew Savage, by far. <laughs> uh, so we had an ongoing Savage versus Stephen Fishback storyline through this season. And now it's essentially come to an end. Why did that storyline even necessarily exist since those two never really went head to head other than a few suggestions that it, maybe it would happen? Do you think the show was trying to tell us that Savage really should have, like, trusted his gut and gone after Steven here? Because if you think about it, the fact that he didn't was kind of what sent him home. I think he was perfectly willing to trust his gut, but at the same time, like, if the votes aren't there, he's the lone vote thrown at Steven, so he has to go with his tribe, right. or his alliance, I should say. And yet, I'm pretty sure they still could have gotten six votes if he if he decided to go. Because Joe was all in, right? So that's four right there, plus Savage is five. And Savage said that he had Wigglesworth. Okay. So he's going to bring in Kelly, Sierra, Joe, and Kelly Wigglesworth. Right. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that when he talked to Joe, like that six was in place before he ever talked to Jeremy. So that's the problem is that group then would have talked to Jeremy. And that group, I think, was more willing to listen to Jeremy. Well, ex with the exception of Kelly and Sierra, because they weren't necessarily talking to that group. Well, I, you know, but I, I actually think Joe was the one who was really locked in on going after Steven there, because anyone throwing Joe's name out this early, Joe has to immediately target, even though everyone is thinking about getting Joe the second he loses. Oh, we'll get to that discussion when we get to predictions. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the big issue here is that they did not split the votes. They had a large majority. Why did they not do that? Uh, basically, 
I had no idea why they didn't do that until I started actually listening to exit interviews. And I did have one suspicion, and I think that has largely been borne out. And that's because Stephen didn't want to split the votes. And Stephen is the big vote split proponent. And do you think that Stephen didn't want to split the votes because Stephen would be at risk if those votes got split? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think what Stephen was worried about, I think Stephen, even after Savage came back into the fold, I think Stephen was worried about if they split the votes, then Joe could defect. And I think they're also looking at, I, I think they know that Spencer is a little bit of a weak ally right now. So... Is Steven's worry then that they're going to defect and target him, though? Because I don't get the impression that Steven thought he was in any danger. I think he knew. I, I, I think he knew once uh, Savage brought up his name to Jeremy. Because I cannot imagine Jeremy not mentioning that conversation to Steven. Oh, see, I disagree. I kind of feel like Jeremy just nipped it there and for Team Harmony, basically, to keep that group working together. You probably don't mention that to Steven. No, I mean, I mean, and that's, and that's quite possible. I just, it seemed like there was enough people there that it, that would have gotten back to Steven. But on the other hand, Steven is probably used to Savage throwing his name out there like every other day. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's been three days. Savage is saying my name again. This is pretty rote at this point. Right. Uh, no vote split, like I said, but. I think there might have been some ulterior motives from some of the other people we saw in some bonus scenes that Spencer in particular, I think, was the very first one to say, like, oh, I don't think it, you know, we have to worry about Kelly having an idol. If she did, she would have played it at that last vote. That's a reasonable argument for him to make. But it's also entirely possible that Spencer was essentially like, I don't care if she has the idol because no matter what happens here, it's probably good for my game. If she has the idol and she plays it, great. It takes out one of you guys. If she doesn't, fine. It takes her out and I'm playing with Sierra instead. Oh, I agree entirely. I think uh, Spencer right now, more than anyone else in that controlling alliance, is looking for the opportunity to flip. Uh, but he can't do it until the numbers are there. And an idol gets the numbers closer. Right. And then also, I think that Joe is probably just about there as well, because Joe, from what we saw both on Twitter and in bonus scenes, was basically the one either directly or indirectly tipping off Kelly to the fact that it was her for that vote. Right. And Joe's immune, so he doesn't care if an idol gets played. Yeah, again, low risk for Joe. What's the worst that's going to happen here? Well, and the best that has happened is that one of the other threats to win immunity goes home, like a Jeremy or a Savage. Yeah, because those are going to be the likely targets if an idol does get played. Um, and then I think the final nail in the coffin was we got a secret scene from Jeremy as well about why they didn't split the votes. And Jeremy's scene was just that, and he up and admits this, he didn't think she had the idol. And he basically talks through an entire confessional saying, nah, she doesn't have the idol. There's no way she has the idol. I don't think she has the idol. I mean, like, he just spends, like, a minute and a half saying saying that and getting, like, increasingly confident in the fact that she does not have the idol. Yeah, so he just straight up underestimated her, which was probably the dumber move. Yeah, no, I, and, I, and I think if anyone that's still in the game screwed up, I think it was probably Jeremy, but even so, I don't think it actually hurts him that bad. Right. At long term, I don't think it's it's a minor bump in the road. And I don't even know that it necessarily hampers his gameplay any at all. Yeah, but I think he's the one who actually dodged a bullet. 
because they really could have targeted him. He's the obvious leader in that alliance, and they and they decide to go after Savage instead. And there are very good reasons for that, but they very easily could have gone after Jeremy here. I will disagree with you. I don't think he was necessarily the obvious leader, and I think that's one of the things that kept kept him safe. The other thing would be that I think that those three women realized that between Savage and Jeremy, Jeremy is much more flexible. Savage is completely rigid and is sticking with that group no matter what. Jeremy will listen to your plans. Like, if you float something out to Jeremy, he'll at least listen. Maybe he won't come along with you. Maybe the time's not right. But if you make him a good offer... He might actually work with you. Savage was never going to work with you. I, I do agree with that point, and I also agree with the point that they didn't realize how in control Jeremy was, but I think that's actually uh, the bigger factor. I think had they realized how in control Jeremy was, how many bonds he had, because he's in basically everyone's final three right now in that control and alliance, like or almost everyone's final three. He's in that. He's in the core group of everyone in there. And I think had they realized that, they would realize that he's the real connective tissue. If if Jeremy goes home, then I think the Steven Savage Cold War goes hot. Yeah. I think that becomes live, and then I think that puts a couple other people in play that weren't in play before. And I don't know if that alliance stays together. Savage going home, I still think that alliance stays together next week. It, there's certainly a stronger chance of it staying together. Uh, but you know if. If you're taking a shot into that alliance, Savage or Jeremy are the, well, Joe would be nice, but you can't hit Joe. Right. So <laughs> Savage or Jeremy are the two that you want to hit. And, you know, it's easy for us to Monday morning quarterback and see like, oh, come on. How do you guys not see this? But, you know, real time right. in Cambodia, it's fine. You can understand thinking that, oh, yeah, Sav- taking Savage is going to have a big impact here. Well, I think there actually is a third name that might be an obvious name to hit there. And I think we haven't been talking about this person. But Tasha, I think, is just as likely a name as Jeremy or Savage there. And because they pointed out in this episode, they point out that the core four of the alliance, and then named five names, uh, but the first three, the ones they were sure about, were Jeremy, Tasha, and Savage. So in their minds, those were the three at the center here. And even if they didn't know which ones had the most control, I think it is notable that Tasha is in there. But again, they thought they could work with Tasha. I think they're wrong about that, but... And I agree with you completely. I think that was their exact reasoning. Like, uh, Tasha is not necessarily the best target for us because down the line, there's a chance she might want to join a women's alliance. She might feel on the outs with that group of the alpha males. There's There's wiggle room potentially there. But still long-term, I don't know if it's, they're going to be able to pull enough votes over to their side. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Even with Savage out, I think that I think it has kind of a negative effect, which is that it kind of makes their threat seem even larger because they just took out one of our own. You know, it has that kind of negative effect, even as you have the positive effect of taking someone out. So let's talk about this Girl Power Alliance on the bottom here that took out Savage. Two out of the three, we're going to completely avoid talking about Abby Maria because she's just there to be the third vote for them. Well, and, and to make fun of Savage as he leaves. Oh, and that was pure fire. <laughs> I, <laughs> so good. I can't believe there are people that did not realize she was twisting the knife. It was so obvious. <laughs> yeah, some people thought she was being sincere about that. I was like, no, I do not know Abby. <laughs> like Exactly. When has Abby ever showed compassion for anyone? <laughs> yes, it was fantastic. Yeah. And Savage's reaction was also great because that wound is super raw and she's just 
dumping a truck of salt into it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and I, th- I, I think I made this comparison elsewhere, but one thing about Savage that I that I do like, but I know that turns other people off, is that his reaction when he loses is he does the same thing when my when my favorite sports team loses, which is for the next like hour afterwards. I'm a miserable asshole. I am the worst to be around. I just want to wallow in my self-pity. And then I'll snap out of it and I'm fine. And I think it's that kind of thing where it's like he takes it very seriously to the point where right after something like this happens, he is just like in full wallow, self-pity, poking the wound. It's, you know, it's like when you have like a canker sore and you can't stop touching it with your tongue. What a lovely comparison. And you're right, though, that he quickly recovers because... I know you watched the Ponderosa video, and I did as well. I encourage all of you listening to go watch it, because Savage arrives at Ponderosa, Cass is there to greet him. We go from Savage basically openly hating on Cass to her face, like, stay away from me, I don't like you, I don't like how you play this game, I don't respect you. Quick cut, 40 hours later... Savage and Cass drinking wine on the beach, shooting the shit, talking about Cass's crush on Savage, and it was like watching some crazy daytime talk show thing. Yeah, right. No, and I, and I think that's exactly it. And I, I, I think we see a lot of the immediate negative reaction because that's good TV. Like, someone taking this stuff seriously is what Survivor wants. You know, they want those outsized reactions. And you certainly get them with Andrew Savage. Oh, yeah. You gave him every time. Every time Andrew Savage experienced something bad, he was just full on living that terrible moment right then and there. And the camera got it every second. And and the best part is every time Andrew Savage experiences a terrible moment, it is the worst moment ever. Uh, at the counterpoint, though, is every time he experiences a great moment, it's like the sun has shined, rainbows are flying out of his butt, there is like horns sounding and trumpeting the day, and it is the most beautiful thing you can imagine. That was a good impression there, actually. I wasn't Thank bad. you. Yeah. yeah, I was actually going for it. I think I, I think I knocked that one out of the park. Nailed it. All right, so let's finish talking about these uh, two ladies that engineered the ouster here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let's talk Kelly. Because this has been set up for a while. I mean, we've been hearing, we saw Kelly get the idol early on. Uh, she's been making references to it in her secret scenes for several weeks now. And you knew because of the way it was set up, it just felt like she was going to use it correctly at some point because they'd made so many references to it. It's, it was like Chekhov's idol. It has to be used and it has to be used well. It's not like Dan with his stupid double vote and completely blowing it. So, she finally ends up playing it, cancels out a billion votes against her, and then we get perhaps the greatest series of reaction shots that we've had at a tribal council in a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, and what was great was that the reaction shots, uh, when she revealed the idol, they were all, like, most of the reaction shots were like, holy shit, this is great, this is amazing, you know, this is really cool. And then when, and then when they were actually waiting for Jeff to read the last two votes, you could see the camera pan by and it's like all of their sphincters were clenching up. They were like, is it me? Oh no. Yeah. And even the people that shouldn't necessarily have been nervous, like Kimmy was sitting there like, oh no. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, because 
You have no idea what's going to happen, and your fate has just been removed from your hands. Yeah, the one person who I didn't see an expression of fear on her face was uh, Wigglesworth, though. Did the camera even show? <laughs> <laughs> it tends not to. Yeah. So Kelly, and I love this too, just straight up trash talking, fist pumping, like throwing dabs at Sierra, like, yeah, that's how we do, right in the middle of tribal council. Cass is loving it, eating it up from the juror seat. Just a great tribal council moment. It just really capped a great episode, too. Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. I mean, I mean, and the episode, I think, had nice kind of like ebbs and flows throughout it, even before that great tribal. And that was a great tribal. But I mean, I think it kind of took you through this journey. There was a bunch of strategy talk. It was a good, it was a really good episode. Yeah. The one big negative there was that it took so long to read all of those votes for Wentworth. You were like, come on, just tell us who they voted for. <laughs> yeah. But, but it kind of had that like rake effect where like after like a couple, you get tired of it. But then by like eight, you're totally back on board. Yeah. You're coming back around like, okay, this is good again. Right. And how far into it did they get before you realized it had to be Savage? Because as soon as the first vote came up and it said Wentworth, I'm like, okay, so she's going to nullify every vote. They definitely didn't split the votes here, and I think it's Savage. I don't think I realized they didn't split the votes until, I don't know, like the fifth vote. Like, I was, like, in complete denial. And that makes sense, because the... The good move there would have been to, at the very least, split it six to three, which is probably, you know, if I were the one engineering a vote split, that's what I would have done. Yeah. Because you're incredibly safe splitting six to three, even if people decide to be cute and flip around. But I just, for some reason, as soon as that first vote was read and she had played her idol, I was like, okay, so she's safe and who's getting screwed here? It's not Jeremy. It's got to be Savage. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I was actually pretty sure earlier in the episode that Stephen was going home. So I, even though it wouldn't have made as much sense for them to target him, I still thought there was a chance of that. But yeah, it was, it was savage. Yeah. And I think that was my reasoning for why it wasn't going to be Stephen because those three had no reason to target Stephen. And I think that at least two out of three of them were pretty clearly anti-savage. I think Kelly could have, you know, gone either way i don't think she was super hardcore against him but at the same time it's like yeah it's not like i was a big fan well i mean i i think sierra was way anti-savage i think as, <laughs> you think yeah well i mean obviously <laughs> I, I i don't know how anti-savage abby was be, i mean the only evidence that we saw from her was her burn at the end but i think abby literally would have done that to anyone that, you know, that's a very good point because I was, I would, that's what I was using as my evidence for the fact that she was anti-savage, but no, she's just kind of an awful troll of a person and she would do that. Right. Yeah. She isn't the type of troll that Cass who like, you know, provides amusement for everyone. Abby is just an awful troll of a person. And yet I still laugh at that because that was amazing. Yes. That, that was, I got an actual laugh out loud for me. That was so good. Um, another person who was on fire this episode was Sierra, who I have long been not a very big proponent of. Wait, what? But, yeah, I know, surprise, but she's really turned my opinion around this season. I mean, I, even coming into the season, I wasn't super excited about her being there. I assumed that she was going to make it no matter what. But really, 
this is the kind of thing that we were talking about when the original Blood vs. Water was airing. Your first game, you're going to make some mistakes. So the fact that she was slow on some of her moves and she didn't quite execute like she should have, and she was a rookie playing against veteran players. Now she's a veteran playing against veteran players, and she's clearly improved her game. And my personal favorite move of hers tonight was just when they were at the reward challenge, the way she delivered her pitch to them. Yeah. Because it wasn't, you guys are idiots. It was, you know, last time when I played, here's the mistake that I made, and I was a huge idiot. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that was a great pitch. I actually think that was a better pitch than the one she made at Tribal. And I think that's because at Tribal, she was phrasing it the wrong way to phrase it. She was talking about what other people were doing wrong. You know, she's urging them to make the big move. But earlier, she's, you know, she's just kind of discussing how in the past certain moves haven't worked out and let them draw their own conclusions, which I think is more powerful. Yeah, because I think it it's not as aggressive and ultimatum-like. It's much more of a, like, hey, empathize with me, guys. Here's what I went through. I don't want you to go through the same thing and have the same regrets that I do. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. And I I, th- I think it was a very good sell, and I think it won at least, you know, I, I think it planted the seed in Joe's head at least, and I think that's why Joe was so willing to jump when he heard that someone was targeting him. I mean, I complained about the way that Steven approached this when he was pitching Joe's name a week or two ago because Steven was just laying it out like, we got to get Joe, we got to get Joe, we got to get Joe, versus what Sierra's doing, just dropping the seed. She didn't say, hey, we got to take out this person. She was just giving her opinion of the landscape of the game and said, you know, here was my problem last time. It wasn't, listen, guys, you have to vote out player X right now. Right. It was just, here's here's how I see it. This person's doing really well. This person's really strategic. This person's in charge. And I I also think it's important not to name specific names because that gives you flexibility. Because you don't necessarily know all the inner dynamics of that alliance, as I think her assessment at the end revealed. You don't know the inner dynamics, so let them choose their own target. Let them choose the person who they feel is threatening to them. Right, because if they're coming over to your alliance, let them call their shot. You don't care, as long as it's not your side. Exactly. Who cares? No, exactly. Um, Steven, once again, attacking his white whale this week, really fixated on going after Joe, which, to some extent, I totally understand. Why not take out Joe? Right. But at the same time, is he just a little too focused on that? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think this is why. I think... After an immunity challenge, if Joe loses, you still have enough time to run through that scenario. And I think before an immunity challenge, you just, you give, you know, so much time for some kind of counter strategy to emerge. Whereas you don't even have to think about it until he loses immunity. And as we've seen, that doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that'll come up again in predictions, I'm sure. Right. So it's kind of like, why even give Joe the thought of doing a counter strategy when you don't even have to plant that seed in his head until he actually loses. Yeah. So in the end, Savage goes home, but did this vote actually change anything other than Savage going home maybe one or two spots earlier than he would have? I mean, I think it could have. I, I do think that majority alliance will stay together next week, but I think I think it's more likely that someone that's on the bottom now can slip through without Savage there kind of 
running herd on let's eliminate them one by one by one. Yeah, Savage is very much the circle of the wagons guy. Right, exactly. Savage is the circle of the wagons guy, and I, I think he would have had enough pull to, to kind of keep everyone circling the wagons. Whereas without him, you know, I think next week we'll probably get Kelly or Sierra. But then after that, we might see someone slip through. Really, Savage going home might mean that Abby makes the final jury. Oh, God. <laughs> because she's, <laughs> she's a go, right? And it's at this point, it's like when you get down, if you take out, let's say, let's say what happens next. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen is you take out Kelly and then Sierra. Are you really going to target Abby next? The problem is if you don't, you're probably voting with her. Otherwise, it, I okay, so I'll put it this way. If you're just leaving her out there and never telling her anything about where the vote's going, so she has no chance at having any sort of agency in the game, then maybe that's what you do. But the moment when your your plan changes to, I need Abby in my alliance for numbers, yeah, then you're in that's trouble. when it's getting all burned to the ground. No, and, and I agree. I, I'm not saying anyone should do this. I'm saying that I think there is a perception of Abby that I don't know if they would necessarily keep coming after her. They're not they're not scared of Abby taking them down from the outside, but they don't give enough credit to Abby taking them down from the inside. Uh, I'm trying to think of who has been burned that would know that, though. Although, you know what? Everybody that has been burned is basically out of the game. Right. But there might be some people that have seen that, at least. I think the only one... Who, uh, whose alliance Abby voted against, who's still in the game, is is uh, Wigglesworth. Oh, so maybe that's a, a bad sign for her. <laughs> maybe the writing's on the wall there. Well, and and I guess Wentworth. I, I think Abby may have burned Wentworth at some point early on. All right, so let's get into next week's episode because there was a preview for next week that was, was interesting. So we see various players standing on some buoy type things, little triangle footholdy buoy things in the middle of the water, probably doing some sort of endurance challenge. And then Probst says, all right, little twist here. Whoever gets out to these buoys first, you're gaining an, an advantage in the game. Now, first of all, I initially interpreted this as being in a reward challenge, but you and Andy and others in our Purple Rock chat correctly or convinced me, I think correctly, that it's much more likely that that's an immunity challenge. Yeah, and I think the reason why it's more likely to be an immunity challenge is because if it's a reward challenge, who doesn't jump off there? Like, Right. Why does anyone even think about that? Yeah, it's do I want the Outback Steakhouse bacon margarita or do I want an advantage in this game? Right. I'm in. Yeah, I, I think it's a much more interesting scenario if the advantage in the game happens at an immunity challenge yeah and i think also it adds just another new wrinkle to this i don't know if they would have done this necessarily with new players i wouldn't put it past them to do it though because they're always tinkering with the game and bravo to them because i love this idea it creates such an interesting scenario right in the middle of a challenge so assuming that it is at an immunity challenge which does make the most sense let's discuss who might be jumping in here because there's a really interesting debate that's going to go on in everybody's head as to, A, whether they can win the challenge anyway. Right. And B, whether this advantage might be more valuable than immunity. And I think there's an, a third component to consider, which is how fast do they have to decide? Like, uh, can they jump in while Jeff is still talking? Like, it, like is Prope saying, like, 
you know, and we have a twist here. And boom, Wentworth's in the water. Right, exactly. Like, you know, it's like for an advantage and, you know, someone could already be swimming. Like, if that's allowed, then I also think the speed of the decision factors in, which I think definitely helps some people and hurts others. Yeah, and I think that's one issue is that, you know, whoever jumps that gun first, even if you're not the best swimmer, you're forcing everybody else to make the decision instantly. Like, they don't get time to sit there and ponder because the longer they wait, the further ahead your lead becomes and the less likely it is that they'll actually get the advantage anyway. Right. No, exactly. And think about, like, the person who, one, needs as many advantages as possible, but two, is living off immunity. And that's Joe. Joe might not be able to reach this decision immediately because he is used to thinking, I have to win immunity. But that's the type of challenge that Joe probably is not that great at. Well, we often think that Joe won't be great at challenge a certain type of challenge, and then he is. Yeah, so I should say that's the type of challenge that uh, people built like Joe typically don't win. But Joe's a freak, so he still could win. Yes. So Joe is by far the most interesting one to discuss here because he comes in with the mindset, I need to win immunity. He honestly tends to have a very good chance to win immunity anyway. Right. And do you roll the dice that you're jumping off for something that's going to be at least as valuable as the immunity that you might win in this challenge? Right, because there's no way that what you find could actually be more valuable. Uh, Not necessarily true. Okay, so what could it be that would be more valuable than the immunity? A Tyler Perry idol would be more valuable because then you basically have the immunity. You just don't necessarily have to use it unless the votes hit you. You're right. You You don't have to make the choice there because if you do get the idol, a normal idol through this method, you have to play it that night if you're Joe. Yeah. So that's the, that's the interesting thing is you're jumping out for an advantage that could be anything. You know, we, we're only thinking of the things that we've seen, too. It could be the double vote. Right. It could be the regular hidden immunity idol. It could be the Tyler Perry immunity idol, which can be used after you're voted out of the game. It could be something entirely new. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. If Joe jumps in and he gets the double vote, that probably doesn't help him that much. Not going to be enough for Joe. So I think in the end, Joe's not jumping. I think you're right. I think at an immunity challenge, Joe can't take that chance. But I think that could really work out for him because I think some people that would normally do pretty well at this challenge might jump. All right. Well, let's talk about who's not going to jump in first then. Let's finish this off. Who else is not going after the advantage? Oh, Wigglesworth. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) So she's the only other one that I had in the definite no category. Uh, I I think there's going to be a few others that are a little iffy and would lean towards no, but those two are the ones that I had locked down for now. I don't think Keith will jump in. Okay. Probably, and I think the reasoning there is more just that, like, much like Wigglesworth, Keith does not necessarily have his eye on the ball when it comes to strategy. Right, exactly. To Keith, an advantage isn't something he necessarily needs or really knows what to do with. Right. But Keith knows how to win immunity. That That he has experience with. And, you know what? To the guy's credit, Stick with what you know in this game, which is A, not much, but B, you know, why even go for the advantage if you're Keith? If anything, it only raises your profile and makes people actually worried about you when nobody's worried about you right now. Right, exactly. They, you know, they just see Keith as the lovable, uh, Toto driver. 
Tuck Tuck. I, th- I, th- I thought this one wasn't the Tuck Tuck. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So let's go with some, uh, let's go with the definite jumping in crowd. I assume that you're going to agree with me on this, that the three ladies that we saw on the bottom this week are definitely jumping in. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the only one in doubt is Abby because I don't know if Abby's actually, no, you know, Abby is definitely aware enough to jump in. She'll jump in. Well, the thing is, I think even if she's not aware enough, she's impulsive enough that as soon as Wentworth jumps in, Abby's jumping in. Right. No, that's a good point. I mean, and we have to remember, Abby is someone who has gotten an advantage from uh, from the game before. She's not, you know, so it's not like she's unaware of this stuff. Right. Anybody else that you think is definitely jumping in? Uh, Stephen. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so here's the thing. Stephen might not be great at swimming, but he certainly is not good at winning immunity. That is true, but here's the risk with Steven, and the, the thing that has to go through Steven's head is... Does he look like a threat? Yes, jumping in probably sends a signal to the rest of your alliance that you don't feel entirely solid with them. Right. I mean, so here's the thing. I think someone from that majority alliance has to go in just to prevent the the other three from winning it, and so I think that also depends upon how quick they have to make the decision. And that could be Steven's only sell that he could make after he jumps in and inevitably does not get to the advantage <laughs> first because he's completely physically inept. So, yeah, if if he jumps in and his alliance is like, what the hell, Steven, do you not feel safe with us? That's how he has to sell it. Right, exactly. And I think he knows that. Uh, well, let's hope. Um, okay, what do we think about Spencer? He, I think, is actually the second most interesting after Joe. Because Spencer has the same uh, considerations as the ones we just talked about with Steven, only Spencer's position is a lot less secure. So Spencer jumping in for an advantage sends up the flag to everyone else that he knows he's on the bottom. And so then they start getting worried and they start thinking, well, maybe we should take him out earlier rather than continue to pick these people off. Yeah, um, roughly with you there on this one. The other concern with Spencer is Spencer maybe is better served by not necessarily having the advantage and making himself a target. He's actually somehow been able to kind of fly under the radar for a bit, which is amazing. But I think it's really just that he's so outshined by the glory that is Joe in these challenges that people aren't recognizing how good Spencer is at challenges, which is probably a good thing for him. Oh, it's a very good thing for him. Yeah. So... By not getting the advantage and making himself a target, maybe that's a safer move for him. I, I really don't know what I would do in Spencer's spot. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. If Spencer doesn't jump in, he still has a decent shot at winning immunity. He's proven that he's pretty good at the, at these challenges, even if he hasn't broken through against the golden god that is Joe. All right, so let's see. How about Tasha? What do we think she's doing? Um, I don't think she's going to have the same consideration of whether or not she's a threat. I just I don't think that's necessarily what she thinks about. Um, I think she leans towards staying. I think the only reason that she would jump in is actually to prevent the others from getting the advantage, and that would be her actual reasoning. Right. No, I agree with that. Yeah, and I kind of lean towards her not doing it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go with Jeremy then. Jeremy doesn't want to draw any attention to himself. I think he stays. Agreed. Yeah, Jeremy is as close to definitely not jumping in as I as I could put him, but I still felt like there was just a little wiggle room there. Yeah, there is a chance that he's the one, like if they have time to talk about it, he's the one that they nominate to do it, which would be hilarious. Yes, 
also, I don't think they're going to give him time to talk about it because that's the fun thing is if you don't. Yeah. No, I agree. So last but not least, let's say Kimmy. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming that you came to the same conclusion that I did with Kimmy, which is why bother? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what will go. I, I think what will happen with Kimmy is that she'll listen to this. Everyone else will have jumped in. And by the time she realized that maybe she should have jumped in, everyone else will be halfway there. Yeah, and at that point, it's just, shrug, oh, well, I didn't do it. Right, I don't think that she'll react quick enough. Right. The interesting thing here, and what I'm kind of hoping for just for the, you know, suspense and drama, would be someone in that bottom three group, Wentworth, Abby, or Sierra, and let's be honest, probably Wentworth, and even if you throw in Steven, still probably Wentworth, um, if they get the advantage, Probst only says advantage in the challenge. Right. Or he said he only calls it an advantage, which is so nice. And I love when they do this because it leaves open that window for players to tell you what their advantage is. Right. They can completely lie about it. As we have seen to amazing effect in the past with Tony. Yes. And so that is the other issue. Spencer and Tasha, Spencer in particular, though. Yep has seen this play out before. So if someone gets that advantage and says, oh, it's, you know, advantage X, he can be like, eh, let me see some proof. Right. You know, he's not necessarily going all in on your lie. Or maybe suddenly Spencer is all in on a vote split. If he thinks that's a Tyler Perry idol, vote split still gets rid of the idol and, and gets at someone else. Maybe. And I think that'll also depend a lot on who ended up with it, and how well he thinks he can work with that person and or beat that person. But again, assuming that it's Wentworth, I think there's at least some wiggle room there that he's worked with her before he could work with her again. Yeah, no, I, I think she has uh, I think she has the most bonds in the majority alliance from of those three on the bottom. That's a low bar. It is a low bar because Abby has <laughs> negative bonds. And... She lights fire to every bridge. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think... We've seen Steven and maybe Jeremy considering working with Sierra. I think we've seen Joe, probably Spencer. There's, I think there's at least a few more names willing to work with Wentworth. Joe, Spencer, Keith, probably also still Steven. Probably still Jeremy. And let's get to our boot prediction for the week. So after all that, who's going home? I think it's Sierra. And I think the reason why is because this is going to be Ponderosa hell for Savage. <laughs> no, you just saw him. He's, he's sipping some wine. He's talking about college crushes. It's great. Yeah, until Sierra shows up. And I don't think that right. lasts. <laughs> because where I think Cass has, like, different facets of her persona. And I think some of them do kind of match up, her, you know, and can be good with Savage. I don't think there's a single facet of her persona uh, or savages where they'll see, they'll like be buddy buddy. Well, here's what I'm kind of hoping for. And this actually, you know what? I'll make my boot prediction because this is going to be valid for either one. I think it's going to be Steven. Okay. I think that that alliance and I'm guessing it's going to be Joe and or Tasha saying, you know what? It's got to be Steven here. This guy, we just can't trust him. He's looking to make a move. Let's get him before he tries to get us. But. The fun part about both your prediction and my prediction is I feel like either one of them shows up at Ponderosa. Savage is just shooting daggers from his <laughs> eyes at them. And then we get the 
40 hours later cutaway, and they're all sipping wine on the beach, and Savage is their best friend. Yeah. I, I want every Ponderosa video to be that the rest of the season. That would be actually really awesome. But, I mean, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. If Steven or Sierra goes home, Savage is there on the jury doing, like, his fatherly, like, nod of approval or something or like or just outright like clapping or thumbs up a tiger woods fist pump in there Oh, the tiger woods fist pump would be amazing yeah that, that something like that is going down yeah. he's not gonna let Cass outshine him with the reactions yeah i mean and Cass is uh committed to making uh big jury reactions she's going for that eliza orland's crown all right, let's move on to some plugs. PurpleRockPodcast.com is where you can find almost all of our stuff, including that article that I was talking about where Matt so gloriously highlighted the Andrew Savage winner's edit that we were clearly not quite getting this season. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. At PurpleRockPod is generally me. Uh, we also have at Purple Rock Matt. Good luck getting a response from Matt. He's not big on the Twitter. At Purple Rock Andy, at Purple Rock Emma, and at Purple Rock Mark rounds out the rest of our crew. We also have a Tumblr, purplerockpodcast.tumblr.com. And of course, you can email us, purplerockpodcast at gmail.com. Matt, do you have anything coming up that you want to plug? Um, just, I do the live blog every week. I have a lot of fun with it. I hope you guys have been having a lot of fun with it. We've been getting a really good uh, discussion after the episode every week uh, in the comments. And uh, you can see me go from really, really assured that someone who absolutely will not be going home is going home in the episode to actually arriving at the correct conclusion at the end. Yeah. Every week. You can watch... You can watch the stream of consciousness madness that is Matt. Uh, and the other fun thing about following Matt on Twitter is that if you tweet at him, you actually might end up in our live blog because he incorporates a few tweets that we get in there. Yeah, yeah. And if you follow me, I'm more likely to see them, even though, as John points out, I don't actually use Twitter that much. Right. But you will use it at least while the episode is airing. Correct. That's when I use it the most. <laughs> that is your time to get a hold of Matt is between 8 and 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On a Wednesday night. All right, quick plug for next week. We've got Emma coming on the show as our guest. I'll actually be out of town, but assuming that I've got a decent internet connection, I will be there. It will be a three-person podcast. Andy should be back from his illness next week. And if by some chance I have a terrible inter internet connection, it's just Andy and Emma. And there is a better than average chance that we will be doing live video podcasting next week. Uh, we will we will tweet out the details. Anything else, Matt? Uh, just glad to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. And let's hit the theme music. That's what it's like when a woman wants a baby.